This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher's cell therapy processing instruments are designed to help customers transition from process development to commercial manufacturing, utilized as standalone devices or integrated as part of a closed modular process. Thermo Fisher Scientific recommends Gibco CTS DynaSelect Magnetic Separation System, which is a next-gen cell isolation and activation instrument. Gibco CTS Xenon Electroporation System allows customers full control to optimize for a variety of cell types and payloads. And Gibco CTS Rotea Counterflow Centrifugation System is a closed cell processing system supporting a broad range of protocols for cell separation, washing, and concentration. Customers can rely on and streamline their drug development process with Applied Biosystems Qualtrac qPCR and dPCR quality control tools for robust and reliable genetic analysis across various phases of drug development, supported by relevant, compliant documentation. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and my guest for this episode is Usman Azam. You know him or may know him as he goes by Oz. Oz is CEO of Inspirna Now and has spent part of his career at GSK, Pfizer, J&J, and has been Novartis's global head of cell and gene therapy. He has been the president and CEO of Team Unity Therapeutics. And given Oz's tenure in the cell and gene therapy space, I had to invite him on the pod to get his valuable take on the state of the space. So Oz, welcome. Thanks for being here. Aaron, thrilled to be on your podcast. Looking forward to the conversation. Same here. Same here. So let's jump right in. You have quite a robust profile, and I would love for you to explain to our listeners a brief explanation of your professional background leading up to where you are today. So Aaron, I've been in life sciences, or should I say, I've been very blessed to be in the life sciences for nearly 24 years now. Uh, originally, I practiced and trained as a physician in the UK as an obstetrician and gynecologist. I made a career switch in the late uh, 90s, uh, retrained as a pharmaceutical physician, and was very blessed to then enter the world, primarily in my earlier stages of my career, clinical development and medical affairs in some big farmers. I joined industry with Park Davis, Warner Lambert, which became Pfizer. Ended up in the States very early on in my career. 2001, I actually moved to the US uh, and then successively sort of worked in progressive senior leadership roles in pharma. Uh, went to my first biotech, which was a company called Aspreva, which was working in autoimmune diseases. And then I came back for uh, a nine-year tenure at Novartis, where I had this very unique um, privileged opportunity at a part of my career in Novartis uh, to build out the cell and gene therapies business unit, which led to the development and approval of Kimrai as the first CAR-T therapy. I then, after my tenure at Novartis, moved to build up Team Unity uh, with Carl June and Bruce Levine and other phenomenal luminaries who taught me a lot about T-cell engineering. And I'm really excited now uh, applying all those learnings in immuno-oncology and oncology as a whole to uh, my new home of Insperna, where we're focused on looking at the drivers of cancer and decoding using microRNA technologies and techniques to basically reverse engineer cancer and develop targeted therapeutics along the pathways and drives of cancer. And it's a clinical stage company, which is where I really enjoy being. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, again, I can't thank you for your time. Uh, 
I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the, the challenges that remain in the cell and gene therapy space. So it's certainly possible that we're on our way to, you know, 13 cell and gene, cell and or gene therapies being approved this year. And incredibly exciting uh, for everyone in the space and the patients who will hopefully be, you know, recipients of these therapies. Um, but some challenges do remain. And one of them, for example, is, you know, how or will our healthcare systems catch up with the science? And so that's what I wanted to ask you, you know, where are we with the science versus how our healthcare systems actually match up? Yeah, it's a billion dollar question, right? It's probably the most important question to crack and solve for. You know, and I've thought about this long and hard over the past decade, having been involved with some very challenging conversations around value. And I think it goes back to the big issue that we have for the healthcare systems is actually a lack of consensus on assessing value for these products, both from the healthcare provider purchaser side and the innovator side. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing to solve for in cell and gene therapies, uh, especially when you're looking at smaller disease populations in the setting of certain gene therapies. Certainly now with CAR-T therapies and TCR therapies, you're looking at much larger sizable indications than originally the lymphoma leukemia indications. But that's where the big sort of wrestling match is still going on is how do you assess value fairly? And one size, unfortunately, doesn't fit all. You know, we have those that are very purist that focus on a very ISO model or a nice model. And then you have on the opposite side, you know, folks who may be a little bit too woolly and qualitative and not as objective. And somewhere that meeting needs to happen because that's going to be the real way that the healthcare system catches up. And, you know, when you talk to payers and providers, and I've spoken to many of them over the past decade around oncology, um, you know, the hardest thing for them is that they have an economic reality. There's a finite budget. We as innovators don't want to break that budget. You know, that's not saying the business that, you know, we get out of bed to do what we do in the mornings. Uh, but it's one that I think there is still an impasse and there isn't a philosophical alignment on how do you really look at value for, you know, indications as they expand. You know, we did it quite successfully with leukemia and lymphoma because there was a model, right? Kids who were getting treated and had relapses ended up at best with a transplant. Um, you can quantify the cost of a transplant. Now, that cost came out to about just over a million, give or take, right, for, depending on zip code. And I'm talking about 10 years ago. It's probably definitely gone up now. But you could see how you could arbitrage an argument and say, well, the cost of a CAR-T therapy, which is curative, is persistent and durable, can be X dollars, right? So that that was now looking back, it's easier. It was, it was hard at the time, but it's easier now. And we're going to have to use those same arguments to justify the pricing of our products, which I think are justifiable. But it's the health, economic, and real-world evidence arguments that need to be presented to pay as much earlier on so they're bought in, so they plan. And this is the plea they always used to give me was, you know, it's great you're doing all this innovation, but we take a lot longer to catch up. Our ecosystems take longer to wire this. So please work with us earlier, sooner. So and I think that that's the thing to solve for. Sure. Uh, and speaking of an ecosystem that is taking or takes a little bit longer to catch up. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts around the, the regulatory landscape as it applies to cell and gene therapy. Now, 
since your time at Novartis, specifically in the cell and gene space as global head, and then your time with Team Unity, you know, since then, from a regulatory landscape perspective, what has changed or hopefully evolved in that time? So I, th- I see huge progress with what's happened with regulators. And, um, you know, if I look back over a decade now, you know, the FDA and the EMA and the key, you know, regional top regulators, Health Canada, others, um, you know, they were learning. They were literally building the plane with us and flying it and learning it. And I think we've, we've crossed that Rubicon now where, you know, there's great guidances, there are established processes, and then you have to credit, you know, people like Peter Marks at the FDA done a phenomenal job of training and throwing resources at the problem because that was a big problem was resources. Um you know, but I, then I look back, you know, what has um, changed or hasn't, right, since my time at Novartis, right, uh, and then looking at team unity. So there's one thing that for cell and gene therapies and, you know, folks who are practitioners in the field, you know, they understand this inside out, which is that you live or die by your product, the creation of that product and understanding of the product. So the biggest issue I always saw 10 years ago was CMC and analytical development and process development know-how, but explain that from a regulatory perspective. And when I talk to my friends in the field now, it's the same issues. You know, the, the, it's always the common things are common, right? And it always goes back to analytical development. How do you characterize your product, your process? How do you define your critical quality attributes? And how do you measure potency, assays, assay development that's reproducible, stable? All those things still are valid as they were 10 years ago. Yet when I look at companies, I still see them struggling with that. And part of it, I think, is a competency gap. Part of it is, um, you know, we kind of think that, you know, we can outsource a lot of this and there's other people that could do for us. But unfortunately, you can't. You as the innovator have to know your product best. Uh, And I think that that is a challenge and will remain a challenge uh, in that, you know, it maybe seems an afterthought by some. You know, people get very excited with clinical development plans and the size of the population of unmet need we can address. But it's back to fundamentals, right? And I think that's where the regulatory lines are always going to be drawn, my humble opinion, is around, you know, CMC and manufacturing. But more, I think, around, you know, assay development, potency, really characterizing your product and saying a variable manufacturing process, which cell therapies are when it comes to an autologous perspective, right? If it's a personalized development product, um, and even if it's an allergenic at the end of the day, people want to see from a regulatory perspective, you know your product best and that you can give some assurances <laughs> that, you know, this product's going to be consistently of a high quality. So I think that that for me was always the issue and it still remains an issue, I think, if you talk to people in the field. Yeah, sure. And um, I would say, so other than, as you said, you know, knowing your product best, you know, what advice would you have for developer companies as they begin to, or are in the throes of engaging with the FDA, you know, what sort of tips for our listeners? So, um, you know, I give the advice that people gave me 10 years ago, because it kind of still valid, um, which is invest in analytical development, CMC early on, like make some of your initial highest people, good people with those capabilities, go the extra yard and build that leadership and sense of ownership in turning the company earlier. doesn't mean you don't work with 
partners, you know, CROs, collaborators, academics. But you need to have that footing very early on. Don't shortchange yourself on that because it will come to bite you. So there was one piece of advice I would give is that build your analytical development algorithm framework competency very early on in your process as a cell therapy. And I think as a gene therapy company, equally important. You know, they're, they're sister spaces, right? Gene therapies have their unique challenges. Cell therapies have their unique from an oncology standpoint. But I think that for me would be the, the one piece of advice I would give. Build out your analytical capabilities much earlier on. Yeah, and it's uh, your, your sentiments are echoed by, I had Dr. Peter Marks on the podcast uh, six months ago or so, probably at the top of the year. And uh, he suggested and advised the exact same thing, which is kind of the message being the sooner the better uh, to nail CMC down as soon as you can. Uh, so I had a feeling that's what you might say too. <laughs> uh, moving on, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, you know, the solid tumor cancer treatment. So, you know, we, we mentioned T-immunity earlier, uh, you know, private clinical stage biotech that was focused on CAR-T therapy, we now know is, you know, been acquired by Kite Pharma. Um, from your perspective, what is the future of CAR-T therapy? You know, we know it's a proven therapy. What is, and, and, and then what is the potential in also the solid tumor cancer treatment space? So I think the, potential for CAR-Ts is huge. Um, I think T-cell engineered products as a whole, when you look at CAR-Ts and TCRs, I mean, we've gone past the initial validation in smaller hematological, oncological indications, step one. Now those are broadening and isn't it great to see persistence and durability data that these products are making a real dent, right? And patients have, you know, overall survival rates that are really, really pretty stellar now. Um, we still have a lot of work to do because we have patients who don't respond, who you know relapse, et cetera, but it's certainly a better picture than we were a decade ago. Um, so I think on, on that front, I think there's huge optimism that we will continue to build beachheads of good benefit risk data and expand indications in cancer as a whole. Now, solid tumors, I think my learnings of solid tumors is that it's the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Let me tell you what I mean by that is that to crack a solid tumor cancer, it's not about one drug or one modality. It's about how do you recruit the immune system and the whole tumor microenvironment to work in your favor to kill that cancer. And I, di I didn't really appreciate that in the early days because I was thinking very much about a CD19 model worked in leukemia, lymphoma, uniquely expressed on B cells, you could target it, you know, and, and Patients could do very well. Sure, they had B-cell aplasia, but you could figure that out. But then, you know, over time, you realize that the, the engineered CAR-Ts targeting any antigen you can think of, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a Claudin. It can be a PSMA. It can be whatever, solid tumor antigen. It's not just about the CAR targeting that antigen. It's about how that product recruits the rest of the immune system and sort of is a like a bunker buster, you know, payload, but then the product allows the recruitment of TILs and other tumor microenvironment factors that actually destroy the cancer. And I think we're still on a journey to really understand that. And what's changed thinking around that, I think, is now so many good companies out there that really are looking at that ecosystem. I mean, we, we were doing that a lot in Team Unity. 
but I know that other companies now, you know, with novel technologies, approaches, payloads, how they think about, you know, wiring of a T cell, for example, that's that knowledge is increasing exponentially. The challenge with that is then proving it in the clinic. And that's where still a lot more investment, time and effort is needed to get those proofs of concept. But I think we're on the right trajectory that will, will a CAR T therapy in certain cases cure solid tumor cancers? I think it can, it will. But, you know, complex multimodal cancers that are heterogeneous, you know, different drivers of cancer, that's where I think the armamentarium of how a CAR-T with maybe a ready nucleide or other targeted therapeutics, you know, novel new checkpoint type of products, how is that all going to work? I think that's how it has to work for solid tumor cancers to, to be cured. Uh, and I think CAR-Ts will and should have a very prominent role. TCR therapies are going to have a very important role. But how they fit in with other therapies, I think, is the key, because I don't think one therapy alone is going to solve it. And I think people who think that that's the case are uh, somewhat living in a little bit of a delusional space because cancer is a very fickle foe. And so you have to be aggressive, but you have to be real about how your therapy complemented with others is probably the way you go forward. Yeah, sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, throughout our conversation so far, we've talked about a myriad of things. And what I wanted to kind of drill down on or what are some of the biggest uh, yet solvable, although solvable is a very finite word and I don't know that that's the right word, but uh, the biggest hurdles still facing the field today and, you know, what are they? And perhaps if not solvable, uh, how can we progress and how can we progress quickly? I mean, there's lots but I mean, things that, you know, I always thought about still do is, you know, how do you optimize targeting? You know, how do you get a product, a T cell, NK cell, whatever cell type it is, to really home in and get into target on the surface of a cell or in the case of certainly TCRs, you know, looking at, uh, you know, intratumular, intra intracellular, you know, peptides and antigens. And I think that that it still remains a challenge, but it's solvable, right? Because look, at the end of the day, you create something that's targeted, a targeted therapeutic by definitely you're targeting something, right? So you better target really well and target where it's supposed to target and not where you're not supposed to target. So, you know, on target off tumor toxicity, for example. So I think that that is still a major thing to solve for, right? Which is how do you not just identify new targets because people identify targets all the time, it's about how do you become better at targeting itself, right? Uh, so I think that that's a big thing to solve for on the cell therapy oncology side. I think on the gene therapy side, I think differently because there you see every day even this morning, like looking at data that was coming through from, I can't remember which company, but it keeps going back to the delivery of gene therapies, right? You know, we are still dealing with this, um, you know, I would say a, very stable ecosystem of delivery, which is AAD vectors or adaptations of vectors. Um, but that needle has to move on from a benefit risk safety perspective, you know, and people have invested heavily in capsid technologies and how you reduce, you know, immune mediated issues, how you avoid these sort of classic liver events that occur with certain serotypes and, you know, types of, of um, vectors, AAD type of vectors. 
Um, and I think that's the other thing that is being solved for and will be solvable because of amazing companies that are looking at novel delivery systems, right? You know, in vivo delivery in a different way that isn't, you know, directly through a virus, right? You know, CRISPR-mediated approaches and other approaches. So I think that those for me are like the two areas that I look at <laughs> uh, with all sometimes, right? Is it solvable? Yeah, I think it is, right? But is it going to require a lot more tenacity, capital, uh, scientific efforts? Yeah, but those are, the, those are some thoughts around the areas I think are solvable, but will require some muscle power still. Good, okay. Um, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on, you know, we all attend industry conferences. I was lucky enough to sit in the, the audience when you were on a panel back when you were with Team Unity at a show, at an event in Philadelphia. Um, and so I take the conferences that I attend really seriously. You know, we want to make sure we're all gleaning as much actionable information as we possibly can while we're there. And so when you're to attend or if you were to attend, you know, a, a cell and gene therapy focused event again, you know, what would be the one session topic that you wish the event would would absolutely have to feature and why? And, you know, the topic that you think Okay, as an if I'm going to attend an event, this particular topic has to have a panel of experts and why. Mm -hmm. So I thought of two, but you've only given me a choice of one. <laughs> so, you can do two. You can do two. Okay, so because I was I was very torn for different reasons, but if you indulge me, I'll give you two. For sure. So the one I think is going to be a must is the application of AI to cell and gene therapies. Mm -hmm. I think that is really important and specifically why cell and gene is cell and gene really if you break it down right we do a lot of informatics in research and early development research translation the volume of data and now that we've got single cell technologies where we can literally decode what's it what is happening to individual cells when you really sort of look at proteomics metabolomics all the omics that's a hell of a lot of data and it becomes a data nightmare and it becomes an algorithm game. Uh, so informatics is going to win the day. And part of that you can't avoid uh, if you look at the world of AI. And how I'd love to be at a, you know, a meeting on the Mesa or, you know, one of ASGCT, one of those, somebody really pulling together a state-of-the-art thinking on the applications of AI across the board when it comes to cell and gene therapies, uh, that, that's something I crave to learn more about. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be a ignore it at your peril thing, right? I mean, that's a case of AI, right, across the board, right, in, in healthcare. So my second one that you, you're allowing me to run your cast in, Bill, I think that, you know, we're just scratching the surface when it comes to autoimmune diseases and, and cell therapies. So I think that's going to be very exciting. I mean, long overdue for patients with lupus. I worked in lupus 12, 14 years ago at a company called Aspreva. So I saw firsthand the devastation of, you know, lupus as a condition, particularly in young women. And so I feel huge excitement and promise for what can happen with T-cell engineered products, T-regs and others targeting um, autoimmune diseases. And there's a lot of great companies that are preclinical now nobody's really crossed into the clinical realm yet but i would love to see you know that same excitement people had with the initial CAR T patients 
you know, like Doug Olson and Emily Whitehead, seeing that for patients with really debilitating autoimmune, because autoimmune diseases are horrible. They're just as nasty and horrible as cancer. Uh, and I'd love to see a focus on that to a clinical stage and people talking about that at cell and gene therapy conferences, because it would be good to then not just talk about immuno-oncology and oncology, but talk about other disease states as well. A hundred percent agreed. And uh, we cover that a little bit uh, and, and we're covering it more frequently on Celagene. And I think you could argue that there could be an entire event dedicated just to work in autoimmune diseases. Um, so that makes perfect sense. So hopefully uh, our friends at ARM and ASGCT and ISCT and all of those uh, great organizations are listening in and they can, uh, you know, uh, build build some sessions right around what we're talking about here. Um, okay, well, we've come to the, the formal uh, conclusion of our of our episode. And at the end of every episode, I always talk to my guests about who they are when they're not in the office or the lab. And so um, my question for you is, you know, we're coming up on the throes of summer and hopefully get to take some time here and there to enjoy it. And uh, I know you reside in New Jersey. And so uh i know you're not originally from new jersey but perhaps you've adopted the are you going down the shore vernacular or uh are you a day trip person are you an extended vacation person what do you what do you do in the summer so for me i'm definitely the the kind of person that is really into cities and going to places and just getting lost so like i'm a walker you know i will yes give me a great city give me give me new york give me montreal give me Anywhere in, anywhere in the world, actually. And I've been very blessed. I've traveled all over the world. I've been a very, very lucky guy. Still got a lot of places I want to visit. But I'm definitely the guy that puts on decent boots, walking boots, and, like, get my backpack on, you know, get my fluids and just walk and just explore and just get lost in the hullabaloo of a great city. That That's my way of switching off. I'm so happy you said that. Uh, my husband and I are the same way. We've now uh, included our children in that too, where we, uh, same thing, shoes, backpack full of drinks and food and just go. Um, what's your favorite city been so far of all the ones that you've had the opportunity to, to see on foot, which by the way, I think is the best way to see a city if you, if you can pull it off. Uh, my favorite city in the world for doing that is Istanbul. Oh, so wow. I just love getting lost in Istanbul. I've been doing that for decades. Uh, there's something magical, very powerful about that city, I think. And it's a great, great city for walking and looking around. And it's just full of history, right? And sure. it's a nexus of the East and the West, different cultures, different religions. So I find that city, probably me, is the most memorable and the one I love the most. All right. Well, we will add that to our our list of, our bucket list of of cities to go see. So that's really helpful. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast with my guest, uh, Usman Oz Azam. Oz, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun and a really a great deal of information for our listeners. So I appreciate your time. Aaron, it's been wonderful connecting with you. Take care. Listeners, be sure to visit CellandGene.com, subscribe to this podcast, and register for Cell and Gene's e-newsletter so you have continued access to the content that helps you perform your role even better. And we'll talk to you soon.